Welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Today we're continuing our series called Navigating Our Differences with Unity. We've been saying that often our urge to be right can overcome our call to be gracious, and we stop resembling the Savior we're called to follow. This series looks at a period in the life of the early church where they faced the same struggle and looks at the principles God gave to help them. It seems that the pandemic has tested our capacity to love. It's become easier to hate than it is to care or even understand. Patton Oswalt experienced that. Oswalt is a comedian famous for TV roles like Kevin James's friend in King of Queens. But on social media, he goes off script and like many people can forget to use care in his choice of words. On one occasion, he made a harsh and sarcastic tweet about a political figure. It didn't take long for someone to respond with some of their own insulting tweets in return. And it was about to become a good old fashioned internet hate fest. But Oswald decided to scroll through his enemy's Twitter feed first. When he did, he saw that his cousin was fighting to pay his medical bills following a two-week hospital stay. He had fallen into a coma because of complications from diabetes and sepsis. Oswald decided to make a donation to his GoFundMe account and encouraged others to do the same. They ended up raising more than $30,000 for a fund that was seeking to raise five. Oswald's Twitter combatant wrote in response, Patton, you have humbled me to the point where I can barely compose my words. You've caused me to take pause and reflect on how harmful words from my mouth could result in such an outpouring. Don't you wish that happened more often? <laughs> Don't you wish that Christians were so known for this kind of response that there were memes about it? Don't troll a Christian and they'll inevitably do something nice for you. That's not the reputation we've earned for the most part, is it? I can tell you from the quote-unquote Christian trolling I see on our own YouTube channel, I'm embarrassed by the words and attitudes that are expressed by some of those who claim to follow Jesus. So how do we do better? The Bible doesn't just command us to love. The message is never just try harder. But God gives us reasons to care and motivation to fuel our love. So let's turn there now. If you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn to Romans 13, verses 8 to 14. If you don't have a Bible, click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Romans 13, starting at verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh 
to gratify its desires. This is the word of God. And the first reason God gives us to care is that without love, we're missing the entire point of the Bible. Christians can focus on many good things, evangelism, end times, Bible study, politics, personal growth. But if the centrality of love is lost in that mix, then we've strayed from the faith that Jesus calls us to. Without love, you're missing the point of the Bible. Now, Paul's appeal starts in verse 8 like this. Owe no one anything except to love each other. He's making a point about love not personal finances. But verse 7 helps us to understand what he means by owe no one anything. In the previous verse, Paul had just said, pay to all what is owed to them. So here he's not prohibiting borrowing of any kind, but the kind of borrowing where you take without thought of return. Come to think of it, he's prohibiting the kind of borrowing that many Canadians do every December. Using credit to get what they want even when they don't have the money to pay for it. His bigger point, though, is that there's one debt that we should never tire of paying, the debt of love. We're never done with love. We never move on from love. Followers of Christ believe that loving others is our lifelong calling, obligation, and joy. We're to always be on the hunt for new ways to express our love. And we're to step up and do the hard work of love when people oppose us, aggravate us, and disagree with us. This, Paul says, fulfills the law. In verse 8, he says, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. He says another to make it clear he's not just talking about an abstract concept of love or love toward God, even though that comes first. It's easy for people to say they love the Lord. But the reality of our love is shown by how we treat actual people. In verse 10, Paul repeats himself. He says, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let me tell you what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we just love instead of obeying God's commands. And you see this today. Some people take a very low view of obedience. They ignore God's commands and say that Jesus replaced all that legalism with love. And then they borrow the world's definition of love and say that they're following Jesus. That's not what's being taught here. In verse 9, Paul starts by listing some of the Ten Commandments. No adultery, murder, stealing, or coveting. Then he says that they are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love, properly understood, summarizes the moral commands of the Bible. Love is a good shorthand for God's will, because if you show love to someone, you're not going to commit adultery against them or murder or steal from them. But it's God's word that defines what love truly is. And so we study the scriptures to grow in our understanding of love. Today, you have people who will commit adultery and they'll say, but we're in love. But according to the Bible, that's not love at all. It's just selfishness. The Bible is our encyclopedia of love, and it helps us from calling love what God calls sin. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So love and obedience go together. And the Bible shows us how to love. If we're not growing in love, 
it should be a red flag to us that something is very wrong with our faith. If the pandemic has shown you that you've got a limited capacity to love people you disagree with, now's the time to deal with that. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Without love, we're stuck at the starting line of the Christian life. We're missing the point. When I served in Japan, a fellow missionary pastored a church in the Tokyo area. He told me about one Sunday when he sat down beside a young man who was waiting for the service to begin. He thought by sitting down beside him, a conversation might happen. It didn't. In fact, he had his earbuds in to drown out the people that were around him. My friend waited for what felt like an uncomfortably long period of time and then decided to ask him what he was listening to. It turns out he was listening to an English conversation lesson. With a question answered, in Japanese no less, he put his earbuds back in and went back to his lesson. <laughs> Here he was sitting beside the only English speaker he would probably meet all week, and instead of having a conversation in English, he preferred to listen to an English conversation les lesson. I think we do that with our faith. Are you more into listening to sermons about love than actually showing love to the people that God has put in your path? Do you take time to invest in others? Do people see grace in your words and your attitude? Do you show love by how you forgive? Without love, we're missing the point of the Bible. But without love, we'll also sleep through Jesus' return. A lack of love shows exactly the kind of spiritual apathy and carelessness that the Bible warns against as the second coming draws near. Without love, you'll sleep through Jesus' return. Verse 11 opens this way. Besides this, you know the time. And later in the, later in the verse, he says, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe. He's warning us that with each day we draw closer to the end. We should live with a sense of urgency. In 1 Thessalonians 5.2, he said, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Jesus' return will be unexpected. Many people will be caught unprepared. They'll have put him out of their minds and be living like there will always be another day. But the day will have come. In verse 12, he says this, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Since Jesus rose from the dead, we have been teetering on the edge of his return. And that should affect how we live. If you knew that in a few hours you'd be meeting with the one who gave his life to set you free from sin, you wouldn't sit scrolling porn on your phone. You wouldn't be trolling someone on their, about their politics on Twitter. You wouldn't be absorbed in the things of this world and indifferent to the needs of people around you. We live in readiness when we live in love. In Luke 21, 34, Jesus puts it like this. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Jesus is patient to give people opportunity to repent but he'll return in judgment and far too many people will be caught off guard. C.S. Lewis said, 
The greatest thing is to be found at one's post as a child of God, living each day as though it were our last, but planning as though our world might last a hundred years. Paul says the same thing in verse 11 with a metaphor of sleep. He says, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. And I think this is probably the clearest image. Surely the events of the last couple of years have shown all of us that our world is broken. The pandemic has been like an alarm from God and too many people have slept through it. Or maybe they've woken up to it, but haven't at all responded in the ways that the Bible calls us to. Have you grown in love over the last year? Has the urgency of the days that we're living in taught you to care for others? If Jesus returned before I finished this message, how would you feel about the way that you've lived the past week? I don't know if I'm the only person that gets these, but I have a recurring nightmare. <laughs> don't worry, it doesn't come all that often, but I dream that I overslept on the day of my exam. I'm still butting my shirt as I run across campus to the exam hall before the time runs out. I actually dreamed a version of this nightmare last week. And that's odd because as you can guess, it's been a very long time since I was a full-time university student. But that dream hangs with me because the idea of going through an entire term of studies, getting to the day of the final exam and sleeping through it just seems like the ultimate panic scenario. But some of us will experience far worse on the day of Christ's return. There are people who are listening to this message, or maybe some who had at least intended to get around to hearing this message, who will be spiritually asleep when Jesus comes. They'll be caught in sin and spiritual lethargy. If you hear the alarm, don't hit the snooze button. Wake up to what God's trying to do in your life. So we've said that without love, you're missing the point of the Bible. You'll sleep through Jesus's return. And finally, without love, you're not dressed for where you want to go. We're saved through faith alone, but it's only through our love that we can see the genuineness of our faith. Without love, we're not dressed for where we want to go. Now, the clothing language comes directly out of this passage, but it's easy to miss. Verse 12 says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Cast off and put on are both the normal Greek terms that you would use to describe someone changing their clothes. And when combined with the night being far gone and the day being at hand, the image is of a person just before dawn. If the sun's coming up and you still got your clothes on from the night before, something's up. You can see this contrast most clearly on college campuses. At around 6 a.m., you see two very different kinds of people. There are students who are out jogging and heading to early morning fitness classes. They're up early, ready to get a head start on the day. And at the same time, you see some people who are clearly just getting home from the previous night's party. The only thing they're dressed for is a hangover. First century Rome wasn't all that different. Paul uses the clothing and appearance of these two people as an illustration of how people live. First, he says, let us cast off the works of darkness. And then in verse 13, he lists orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, and jealousy. 
when you see the list, you get a sense of the reality of temptation that the Christians in Rome were dealing with. It was not easy. Now, hopefully there aren't too many of you who are still trying to put orgies behind you. But I have to assume that some of you have been tempted to deal with the stress of the pandemic with alcohol or even drugs. Others may have turned to sexual sins. And many have become more critical and unforgiving. There's so much isolation that we can start acting like no one's watching. But God sees it all. And the sin grieves him. The Christian life involves responding to God's grace by peeling off the old self on a daily basis. Ephesians 4.22 puts it like this. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. When we become spiritually lazy, we can start acting like the old self. It's like we keep the old habits and ways of thinking on a hanger in the closet and bring them out whenever we're too tired to bother. When you know what time it is, you can't do that. We need to keep taking off the old self and stop putting it within easy reach. But the Christian life doesn't just consist of the things that we don't do anymore. We need to put on love. In verse 12, Paul says, put on the armor of light. And he's talking about the kind of habits and character that are appropriate for people who belong to the day. It's speaking the kind of lifestyle that reflects the children of light. But he calls it armor because it protects us. We're saved by faith alone, not by the things that we do. But our, deci our decisions still have very real consequences. Every time we choose righteousness, we're choosing blessing. Every time we choose obedience, we're sparing ourselves grief and regret. regret. When you choose to reach out in biblical love, you're choosing to protect yourself with armor. Not that nothing bad can happen, but you're safe from all the painful consequences of sin and foolishness in your life. Now, the world of armor and sword sounds foreign to us now, but it was a powerful image for Paul's readers. Living in the capital city, rumors of their exploits would have been regularly talked about. During the time that Paul wrote this letter, the Roman army would conduct inspections each morning. When the presiding centurion would approach a soldier, he would strike the breastplate that covered his chest and shout, Integritas! in Latin to confirm that his armor was solid. That armor protected the Roman legions for over four centuries as they defended their borders against marauding Goths and Vandals. Over time, complacency set in, though. In 383 AD, a Roman general wrote the following. When, because of negligence and laziness, parade ground drills were abandoned, the customary armor began to feel heavy, since the soldiers rarely, if ever, wore it. Therefore, they first asked the emperor to set aside the breastplates and mail, and then the helmets. So our soldiers fought the Goths without any protection for the heart and head, and were often beaten by archers. Although there were many disasters which led to the loss of great cities, no one tried to restore the armor to the infantry. They took their armor off, and when the armor came off, so too came their integrity. An army without their armor found themselves unable to succeed in battle. 
and an empire fell in the process. How's your armor? Are you choosing integrity? Are you choosing love? If your faith is just making you more angry, you've missed the point. Love is what defines who we are. Don't be caught sleeping spiritually as Jesus' return draws near. Don't drag out the hanger with the habits and attitudes of your old life again. That's not who you are anymore. Put on Christ. Cover yourself with his words and his deeds. Cover yourself with his heart and his attitude. Cover yourself with his righteousness and his love. And as you do, remember that he's the one who gives your armor integrity. He's the one who covers you when there are gaps. He's the one who lifts you up when you fall. When you choose love, you can know that Jesus fights at your side and goes before you. So follow him where he leads and let him guide you into the light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are living in a period where our love is tested. And we often fall, far, feel ourselves falling short. Too little patience, too little grace, too little forgiveness, too little understanding, too little compassion. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. It's in him that we see what love really looks like. Surely your word defines love for us. Father, if there is anyone who has not received that love, draw them to yourself that they might through faith receive what only you can give. And Father, for all of us who have received that love, help us to share it. Help us to pour it out on those who are frustrating, annoying, irritating, different, whatever it is, give us the grace that you showed for your enemies. Give us the love that you showed for us. Give us the kind of love that drew us to you, that we through that same love might lead, it, lead others to Jesus. Do that work in our hearts, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope this message has given you reasons to care. I hope it's given you fuel for your love and motivation to invest your life in those around you. If it stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. And if you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.